Hi, and welcome to Spartan Speak, a production of the Lansing State Journal, Detroit Free Press, and USA Today Network. I am Graham Couch of the Lansing State Journal, here with my colleague Chris Solari from the Detroit Free Press. And Chris, we have reached uh, another offseason, another season bites the dust. Michigan State's uh, basketball season is over. The um, and it's time for summer break. No, I'm kidding. Uh, but it was a more interesting month than maybe we imagined with the NCAA tournament and postseason. And I think it's going to be a, a fascinating off season for Michigan State basketball. We're going to get into all of that here. We'll touch on a little football at, at the end as well. Uh, Jay Johnson um, uh, spoke today, uh, which is we're doing this on Tuesday afternoon. Uh, but we're going to talk hoops for a while here. Uh, the game, the opportunity. Um, and, and what we think is next. And I, and I do think, look, I, I think this team played, uh, reached another level. I don't think they played above themselves, but I think they reached another level in, in, in this postseason. And I think it was a, a lost and missed opportunity because I think if they had beaten Kansas State, I do think they would have beaten Florida Atlantic. I think Kansas State, if they hadn't gotten foul trouble with one of the two All-Americans, would have beaten Florida Atlantic too. And um, I, I think they would have been in the Final Four. And, you know, you get there and, and, and who knows. But it won't be one of the great what-ifs of Michigan State basketball history. We, we've seen other ones as well. It's not like this is something that's going to, I think, bother people all summer, especially with the intriguing team they may have a year from now. What was your, uh, Chris, your, your takeaway on, like, when they lost that game, were you, were you originally thinking that was a good run, they got beat by a better team? Because I think Kansas State was absolutely their equal. Or was it, boy, that was a missed opportunity? No, I think they were their equal, quite honestly. Uh, and, I mean, you cannot argue with the the job that Noel did in that game. I mean, if you remember, in the middle of that, when he banked in that three, um, and it was seven, somewhere around 70 to 70, I smacked you on the arm because you were sitting next to me, and I said, what exactly are we watching here? It was that kind of game, and it just felt that way. And And strange things can happen at the Garden because it's such a big stage, and you know, I, I don't think you can count this. I mean, this is not the 2014 team that lost there to UConn. This isn't the team that, you know, you think about the what-ifs of the 2020 season is always going to be the biggest what-if to me because you had star-caliber players playing at an elite level and everything shut down. So, I mean, I wouldn't even put it. Maybe and there's probably a couple others, even a couple years prior to that, that I would say I would put ahead of this one in terms of what ifs. But you know, the path was there. I don't know if they get past Florida Atlantic. I mean, you know, Noel, I thought, you know, struggled at times in that game, even though he had like 31 points, he wasn't as crisp, particularly with his decision making, as he was in, in the game against Michigan State. He just, I mean, when he got hurt and came back, he dialed it up to a different level. He was already passing the ball at an elite level in that game. But, you know, there were definitely defensive deficiencies that we saw that that really down the stretch in the season. And I don't know how much of it was game plan. I don't know how much of it was simply fatigue because this is the first time Tom Izzo has been in this situation having this many guys playing this many minutes together and having this shorter a rotation. You know, I, I, I think he's going to explore. I, I think if you're smart – as a coach, you look back at this experiment of having the 10 scholarship guys and, you know, basically by the end being in an eight-man rotation and say, you know what, this is this did wear us down, um, you know, or we need to get X type of player 
instead to run this type of system. So, but I, I don't think you can uh, listen. We went into this season saying this team needs to get out of the first weekend at least. They they did that and they showed glimpses of what could be ahead if this group mostly stays together. Yeah, see, I don't think they were. I mean, I, I think the problem with having too many guys from now on is if you have 13 scholarship players, you're just going to have three Pierre Brooks and you're going to have three guys leaving every year. Like it's very hard to have patience. And, 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 uh, and Tom Izzo, frankly, has played too many guys some years. I mean, I think now some years it's worked, some years it hasn't, but I don't, I don't know that they, they wore down. I think a couple things. One, you know, you know, when you say that the irony is the fans who complained about Izzo's rotations being too big are also the same ones who are saying, why didn't you go into the portal and add more guys? Well, it's one specific more guy. Yeah, I mean, I think there's there's it's it's a fair argument that they they would have been an elite team if they had a uh, good big man all year, consistent, you know, solid, sound, rebounding big man. Those are easier found than 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 said. Easier said said than found, I should say. But it, what, what's interesting about this team is even without that, and they, they ran into three straight matchups where that wasn't really the Achilles. Now, right. there were some backdoor cuts, and Michigan State's defense in its nature is a little bit of a ball-watching defense because it's it's gap help and and, and all that, and that, that hurt them against uh, against Kansas State. But it also hurts when you have a guy like Mati Sissoko who just isn't somebody who thinks the game yet at a very high level and sees the game coming at a really high level instinctively. That is a challenge for those sort of things. Now, he wasn't the only one. But it, then the other thing that happens is when <laughs> I think some of his teammates don't fully trust him. And so then they're watching for his, you know, the whole thing sort of permeates itself. And and that that's a bit of an issue. And, but I think a lot of that will take care of itself in the offseason, what, we, we, what they have in uh, Big Man and what we found them to have at that position. And we'll get into that here in a little bit. The, you know what? I do think this team, it, 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 I don't even know if, if it needed to go to the portal. So, and I don't know if it would have even mattered, but if there was some way to entice Marcus Bingham to come back, you think about what he did and his growth. I mean, it's so far past and then he got hurt at, you know, when he was making his move in the G league right before the season. But that type of player right there gives you that one extra body. Um, but you know, you can't force guys to stay. That's for sure. I mean, guys have decisions to make, you know, not just here, but all around the country. I mean, the portal, I mean, I've, I've got notifications set up for portal activity and it is incredible. I mean, it is five to 10 times an hour. You get notifications that someone else is in the portal and, uh, you know, I bet you nine times out of 10, it's guards. It's not bigs, just like you said. Yeah, no, no, you're, you're right there. I think Michigan State did a good job of you know, one of the things that Izzo wanted to do when he brought in Carson Cooper, and I don't think he had any idea that Cooper would be this effective this quickly, but this was a sort of a circumventing what was happening sort of deal. This was a guy who thought he was going to redshirt a developmental piece that they thought later on, hey, somebody leaves, you're not going to have a guy, so you don't have to go into the portal. And what what's interesting about it is I think, and I may be somebody who stands alone here, but I think Carson Cooper will be the man next year. I, I just do. I think he's the closest. All he needs is strength. And what 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 Carson Cooper still needs to become a good Big Ten big man defensively and on the glass and everything is is something that's easily attainable, and that is strength. Yep. You look at the rest of the big men, Jackson Kohler 
needs quickness and length. Two things aren't look as somebody who's wanted quickness and length their whole life that doesn't come easily. The, still waiting on that. I mean, you still got a little bit of time left in your athletic prime. Yeah, <laughs> keep telling my wife that. Um, <laughs> the uh, Mati Sissoko needs basketball savvy and an instinct, and that's a hard thing. You know, like I've said, what I, if I were Mati Sissoko, if I were the coaching staff, I would have him play in six pickup games a day, two with the Y, two with his teammates. I'd have him just live the game constantly and be around it. Doesn't matter the level as much. But and then you know, obviously. Um, Xavier Booker comes in. And he's a guy who's who needs to put on a, a fair bit of weight, and and uh, he'll be a young player. I think Cooper is the guy who you just add twenty pounds to him, and and I think he's got a frame that can carry it. And you've got a big man who's who's who's, who's a force defensively and on the glass and and, and rim running and and on all that stuff. And that's that's a guy that's gonna be hard to keep off the floor next year. And, and so they're not they alone with that. I mean, I, I think so too. I mean, I think what we saw in that tournament wasn't a fluke, quite honestly. I mean, yes, it was somewhat matchup based, but I mean, you also got a guy who not only can play the five with his length, but he's shown with his foot quickness. I, I guarantee that if you want to, you want an example to show kids of why it's important to be a multi-sport athlete. I mean, his foot quickness and lateral quickness comes from, having to play in the net in in soccer and and the skills that he used there I mean has translated now that he's playing basketball full-time for the last couple of years you know you're seeing that start to blossom and you know give the coaches credit for identifying that before really to to get him on in late last year and then get him to the point where not even a year later he's contributing big 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 minutes and plays in in the NCAA tournament well, it's also genetic. I mean, I played goalie in soccer. I'm sure. slow as molasses. I mean, it, it's just it, it, who he is as an athlete. But there's but also yeah. there's also thinking the defensive mindset too. You know, that's something that that translates in for a number of different sports. I think, and that's you know, to me, that's it, it's different in basketball because you have fewer guys and you have much greater athleticism coming much closer to you. Uh, but if you have that defensive mindset, which I don't know if Soko does because he really doesn't play a lot of basketball. You know, he have, and, yeah, and that's one of, one, one of the things that uh, Doug Wojcik said about, about Sissoko was just that he wishes he had a little more instinct on the block shots. It was a little more natural. And that, 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 the question is whether the more he plays, some of that stuff comes or not. You know, to put, to put a bow on this, though, I, I do think on, on the game, I should say, it was one of those games where there were, there were very few moments in the game where I actually thought Michigan State was going to win. There were a couple. There were a couple moments. Obviously, the injury there were a couple other, you know, moments where you go, okay, this is swinging their way, but always very quickly, including the the kind of falling forward, one-handed three-point shot that Noel hit. There was always an answer that made made you go, huh? And and I'm all it, it it's always very clear to me which way I'm thinking in the game when I go back and look at like the early notes on the quick takes and where my tone is and what I'm thinking is I'm sort of putting ideas down because. I, you know, I'm trying to lean one way or another, and it did feel like a game where the other team, the way they played, was at least as good as them. You know, it was surprising to see, for example, and I think this could will be interesting to see when, when when Tyson Walker makes his final decision whether this plays a role. But it was interesting to see another guard be the alpha dog so clearly against him, and yeah. you know, we haven't seen that happen very much. And 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 Marquise Noel clearly was and. And I think was, some of that too. I think you can contribute some of that 
to the energy that that Walker had to expound on the defensive end to keep up with him. I mean, you know, you might say that, you know, one end doesn't do that, but I mean, that's a kid who prides himself in defense in Tyson Walker and especially a head-to-head matchup with a guy he's played against and known growing up, growing up in New York and around the area there. Um, you know, that was a personal matchup. And I think sometimes he's, he is in, we saw this a year, year and a half ago when he came, you know, defense and, and setting guys up was his big calling card when he got to Michigan state. And I think, you know, the scoring, he, he had to kind of force himself at times to not, I wouldn't say force himself to be a scorer, but force himself to be that alpha. Um, just because being the new guy this year, you saw it from start to finish. Um, but I also think that he, his alpha in that game was to be on the defensive side. And I thought he had a tough matchup and I don't think that Michigan state really slowed down Noel until they started using Aikens more on him and using the length and quickness to, to pester him. Cause Hogard struggled when he would get switched onto him and, you know, Walker, I think he was turning the corner on him as well. And, you know, setting up guys like, you know, there were there. I've never seen a passing performance like that in person. I mean, it was, you know, there were tight windows and bullet passes that he was throwing no looks. And, you know, that you can't say anything more about that lob other than it looked like Peterson to Cleves against Iowa or Cleves to Peterson against Iowa State. So, but yeah, I, I think to me, that was, that was, I wouldn't say, the alpha, the because we think offense versus offense. I think Walker was trying to slow him down. And listen, he held him to 20 points, but he also gave up, gave up, had 19 assists too. So how many points did he, you know, really contribute to? Like almost 60 points. Yeah, well, you know, and I do think, the, but you can see who's the alpha on the court. Who's the guy who's yeah. got control of the game? And, and, and Marquise Noel said the day before that, you know, I control how the game goes. He, was, he wasn't kidding. And I, and I do think, it was a mistake by MSU not to go to Jaden Akins earlier and that they should have recognized that earlier. I mean, he it obviously wound up working, and it's easy to say in hindsight, well, that that clearly was the answer uh, because Akins gave gave him fits once that switch had been made. And, and granted, he was hobbling a little on the ankle, and so maybe that helped to some degree. But um, I think that if, if they had to do the game over, Akins would have been the, the answer more often than not is the defensive matchup on, on, on Noel. What's interesting about the game, though, from a sort of positive perspective for Michigan State. If they had won that game, we would look at it as a game that A.J. Hogard became a bona fide star in certain ways. Unbelievable second half in overtime. Yeah, the 25 points, the downhill. I mean, they just couldn't stop him. And the way he was in the phone booth, it was incredible. Yeah, it was incredible. It was that, that, and I think we would have looked at that differently. We would have, um, and, and... so I, you know, I, I think there were things in that game. They went toe to toe in the Sweet 16 with a team that was absolutely Final Four caliber, and that's who this Michigan State team became. And the difference, Chris, and I'm interested to see what you think about this: this Michigan State team versus some others. Like you look at the 2015 Michigan State team that made that Final Four run from a seven seed. That team played above itself to get there. Travis Trice became a different person. They played at a different level. But there was no evidence of that all season. This team was up and down, but there was evidence. This team reached another level, but that's partly who they are. And that's part of my my beef with people saying, well, they, the water found its level where they lost. Look where they were in Ken Palm. Ken Palm didn't measure this team any better than it measured Ohio State, which had like number one in the country half the year when they lost 11 straight games. The, you know, This team was always 
10 points off probably in the Ken Palm rankings overall. And when it played well, it had played itself into a different team that didn't, that most of the metrics did not quantify very well. I, I think this was a team at the end that, yes, it, it probably was a Sweet 16 caliber team, and that's where it lost, but that was closer to its floor uh, than, than its ceiling, if, if that makes sense. No, I think so, and I think the struggle was the consistency to put both ends of the court together, and again, you know, this is a team that was averaging about 65 points in Big Ten play uh, going into the last month of the season. I mean, they, they were struggling to put the ball in the basket, and Part of it was the energy they were expounding on the defensive end, I think. Um, and I think what's interesting, and, and this is, I don't know if you, if this is going to be something for Izzo and his staff to look at, but as the the way that the that the numbers on the offensive and defensive side shifted so suddenly, to me, points to maybe that limited rotation caused some of those defensive deficiencies. It I caused some of those collapses well, started, stretch, but but the pieces were there. There's no question about that. The better question, though, is why didn't you, why weren't you able to score the ball earlier in the year? Well, that's the thing. And once they started scoring, they were playing with more pace and a little, a little more possession yeah. of the game. The defensive and, numbers kind of went that way. I mean, some of the defensive numbers are skewed by that. They just in the offensive player. numbers you can look at with Malik Hall and Jay Nakin's injury too. Quite honestly, between yeah. between losing them in mid November, then slowly getting each one back to certain levels and then having to reintegrate them. And, you know, Aiken's shot numbers started going up down the stretch because he was healthy again. You know, Malik Hall started to play better down the stretch because he was healthy. And then he takes the fall against Ohio State in the home game. And I don't know if he really looked the same quickness-wise as he was starting to. Um, to remember, there were a couple plays in that final home game against Ohio State before he took the fall where he was starting to look again like a guy who was quick to the basket, quick off the floor, attacking, and then I don't know if he ever got right after that. So it's kind of hard to to kind of gauge that, but you definitely could see what those two guys added to the offense between ball movement and especially Aiken's three-point ability down the stretch, um, which I think, you know, that's also makes them hard to look at metric-wise because you take out – two of the top guys in your rotation and you're only running basically an eight man rotation. That's, that, that's a pretty significant hit. Well, it's also the, yeah. I mean, like who Jaden Akins became later in the season was, I mean, he had to, this team was formed without him. And then he, he became, you know, he, he uh, certainly became a, uh, a lethal um, outside shooter and became, I mean, just became a bigger part of things and a more aggressive player, but, you know, the season would have been different had he started you know, from the get-go being formed into the make of the team and, and, and with it the whole way. I mean, he missed those, what, six, seven weeks before the season as well. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that the next year in the roster and where we think this is all going. Again, we are we are recording this. It is like a little after three right now on Tuesday afternoon. So as soon as we stop recording, there will be like four or five announcements yeah. Tyson Walker will announce he's going to go play in the Israeli league. Uh, uh, Malik Hall will announce he's playing in China. And uh, Stephen Izzo will declare for the NBA. But in lieu of all of those things, that, that possibility, let's let's look at the roster and next year and what, what it could look like. Chris, who, who, let's start with you. Who do you think comes back out of this group? Obviously, Joey Hauser has said he's already leaving. Who do you think comes back? Yeah, and I, I, that Joey Hauser situation, I think it's, you know, it makes sense. 
And, you know, he would have had to petition the NCAA for an extra year. And, and, you know, at this point, I think he played himself to where he he's comfortable leaving. And, I, you know, you can't fault the guy for that. So I don't think this is a situation like where Bingham was last year, where he could have maybe developed a little bit more to boost his pro profile. Um, but the other guys, I mean, I'd say Malik Hall to me because of the sour taste of the way this year went and particularly how he looked in, in those first four games against good competition and then gets hurt. You know, that I, I think to, him, to to me, if I look at that, he needs more of a body of work before turning pro. If he wants to try and get into the G league or get into the, you know, you know, the draft back into the draft conversation next year, which again, age works against guys at that point. But I think he's got the most to gain Tyson Walker. I, you know, I'm still kind of on the fence with because I could see cases for both what both him staying and leaving. Um, just I, you know, quite honestly, he's he's got a chance to to really leave a, a, a footprint in the sand, as Izzo likes to say, if he comes back um and being the alpha in this group. But obviously the minutes now, if Jeremy Fears lands here and then you know it it it, it adds to the convoluted backcourt already because Holloman was getting minutes and I think at times showed to be good as a defensive player and offensive player if he's a baseball player we call him a four-tool guy just missing the the offensive component but he was looking for his shot more as the season went along like actually just looking for it once in a while rather than not looking for it but you know the walker situation i think is gonna be the one obviously the biggest key um i still think though hall being such a versatile defender you know being able to bounce between the three and the four the veteran leadership, you know, to me, those components are equally as important. But Walker, obviously, you know, I, I can't really commit to to whether I think he would stay or go. Um, but I definitely could see reasons for both. If there was one thing that I would say would make him want to come back, it's how it ended, where it ended. And, you know, not being the alpha dog on the court at Madison Square Garden. I think that that could lean into his decision a little bit. I agree with a lot of what you said there. And I think that like, I mean, I, I, I'm a big believer in you have to have something left to gain at the college level to make it worth you, you staying right. Like with Xavier Tillman, a couple of years ago, there was nothing left the end of his junior year. Those last few weeks, the dominance he was playing with, like what else was he going to do improve in the college game? He would just be coming back to win for MSU, which is not enough. I don't think. I think you have to have a room to develop, or you, or in, and and he had done all he could as a college player, and and I felt that way a little bit about Tyson Walker at times. Like you've already proven you can be an uh, elite scorer, an elite combo guard, a, a great defender at that level, and this is sort of your moment in college basketball. And I I do wonder if they had won that game and they won another game and say gotten to a Final Four, how that might have impacted his decision. Because I think Agreed. being in a situation where your final taste is you weren't the alpha dog. There was there is room to be a, a better player. You you saw that guy across from you against Kansas State, and and especially if you're a guy, you know, unlike Tillman, you know, Tyson Walker is not an NBA player. He's a guy who will get a shot in the summer league. I think uh, he's, he's a smaller guy, 
Uh, you'd have to make a lot of shots, and it just you don't see a ton of those guys stick in the NBA. It's not that he he couldn't. I mean, Cassius Winston wasn't the most athletic guy, and was was a great player and stuck for a minute in the NBA. But he can make a lot of money overseas, and you know that life's ahead for you. The thing that's changed now is you have the NIL world. Uh, you know, if Tyson Walker might be a guy, and I don't know for sure, but I, I'm guessing he's doing okay in Michigan State beyond the, you know, the stuff that everybody knows. I'm guessing he's making yeah, it. I, I would think any starter at a Big Ten school usually should be pretty. Should pretty be easy. making a decent living these days. Yeah. So the question is, if you can come back and make six figures again and live that life at Michigan State and have a chance on a team that could be great from the onset to try to push to compete for something big and – I can understand and, and maybe take your game. Maybe there is another level. I don't know to what degree. The thing that makes the Tyson Walker situation interesting, Malik Hall, I think they need to come back. They really you, – you look at their lineup and their roster next year and, and where they'll be young, and, and I think having a veteran forward, you know, wing power forward in Malik Hall, a savvy guy who's been around culturally, uh, understands the defense – will be motivated to take his game to the next level because his only chance to, to to me to to reach the the NBA per se is to sort of become an Isaiah Livers type where your outside shot is also prolific. And a year ago before he was hurt this year, he averaged better than 42 yes. on threes. So like that's in him. He could be that next year. And I, he's got a lot left to give in a college game. And if I were him, I wouldn't want to leave this year as the lasting taste when I think there's more in you. Um, whether he gets there or not, I don't know. But Walker, Walker is interesting because even if he comes back, I don't think his role is a, is a, is exactly the same. Especially late, where he slid over to become the point guard when yeah. uh, when AJ Hogarth is in foul trouble. I mean, next year you have Jeremy Fears Jr. coming in, who I'm I'm pretty sure when he committed thought Tyson Walker was playing his last season, and then you have Jay Nakins, whose role needs to be expanded to have the ball in his hands more and be a guy who's a bigger part of the offense. Those two things have to happen and are going to happen, I think, regardless of whether Tyson Walker plays. And so he's going to have to understand that as well and and have those conversations. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, the other component that comes into play that, you know, this is a guy that's been in in college for four years. You yeah. know, where's the fatigue factor of that? Because we never we never discuss that when these guys make this decision of whether, you know, a guy like Marcus Bingham a year ago, you could, kind of tell towards the end that you know he he was ready to move on and i don't it walker's kind of a hard gauge on a lot of those things just how guarded he is as we saw with the new york media uh who found out how guarded he was uh before the game with some of his non-answers and one word answers but you know you know is he is he I don't want to to, to borrow the phrase is he done playing school that's a, that's a component i mean these guys you have to expound a lot uh, mentally, particularly this time of the year for these guys. I mean, I, I, you know, I don't think we give them enough credit for going through this, and we think they're the robots and you know, kind of automatons that just go through play basketball and that's it. But I mean, they do that. They got to go to classes. They got to stay eligible. All those things. You know, does a guy want to keep doing that, or does he want to just be a basketball player? And I, it, it it's fascinating because he seems like a kid who just lives and breathes basketball. The question do you, is, do you want to live and breathe it and go to class and do all well, the things? And how, much, and, and, and how much class you really have to go to? I remember talking to um, – Oh, it's all done virtually now, but you still got to keep yourself eligible. You, there's yeah, there's things that aren't – there are different 
pressures that come with being a college basketball player as they do come with being a pro basketball player. Totally. If he's overseas, you know, you're just worrying about yourself playing once a week, making okay money. Um, you know, I remember talking to Dylan St. Cyr, the goalie at Michigan State this year, and he would, you know, he already had a master someplace too, but he had like, um, I mean, he had next to nothing. He was basically doing an internship, you know. <laughs> I mean, it's, and there are a lot yeah. of, you know, there are a lot of guys you get late enough into your college career. And, and I think it was uh, Bryce Berenger who had next to nothing left to do. So you can you can set it up to yourself so it's not so bad. Do you think anybody else will – I mean, in this day and age, I think you have to plan. There's going to be somebody unexpected who leaves. Do you agree with that? Yes. I think you absolutely have to plan for that. And, you know, it could be anybody. I mean, I think that's that's quite honestly the the kind of environment that the automatic transfers have, have done is just as much as the, the, the portal. You know, I mean, it's it's, you know, automatic immediate eligibility, I should say. Guys don't have to think it through to sit out a year. They can just go somewhere else and get minutes. And you know, am I? Do I believe that guys should do that? I, you know, I don't see why the NCAA. The easy fix there is, you know, well, you got to sit out a year, but you get it back on the back end of it. Pretty simple fix, right? <laughs> I mean, you know, but then you you have guys that could be graduates, and then they they get their degree at their second school, and then they're like, well, now I'm going to be a grad transfer somewhere. So, But you have to. I think you absolutely, as a coach, have to be – I mean, I don't want to call it free agency, even though it kind of is, um, but it's very transient right now. I mean, it's just – you know, coaches are going crazy because roster continuity is at an all-time low because of it, but you have to be prepared. For anybody, I mean, you know, I I could look at two two three guys in the starting lineup all season that I could say, well, I could make a case for them if they wanted to leave to go somewhere else. I could make case for the younger players to do that. I mean, yeah, I mean, you you can make a case for for Jackson Kohler as somebody who's you know, I'm, and I have no information and in it's saying that, but what I'm saying is, here's a guy who comes in he knows Xavier Booker's coming in uh, not that he can't compete with Xavier Booker I think sometimes too much is made of, of Booker's readiness but like uh and, but he sees what Carson Cooper's becoming you know and you're not a guy who's local you're you're you know you're from out west and so who knows how that impacts him you could say Trey Holloman's looking around and going well wait a second Tyson Walker might come back Jeremy Fears Jr.'s coming in you know um the flip side of that is with all of these guys, you can make an argument that here's why you should stay. And in the, the, the ability not to have to sit out, I think helps in this regard. There's no rush in certain ways. Like, it's not like whenever you do this, you're going to have to sit out. So you might as well get on with it. It's if, if, if I was, if Trey Holloman came into my office today and, and I were Tom Izzo and he said, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about leaving because I don't see my, my fit, my role. I would say, well, tell you what, what we think you can develop into a really good point guard, and why don't you do another year? And at the end of next year, if you still feel that way, if it looks like your trajectory is not what you want, then we'll we'll find a, a place for you. But like right now, you you've got, you know, ne- at the end of next year, AJ Hogard might be done. Who knows? He'll still he'll still have one more year. These guys who can grab an extra COVID year, but. AJ Hogger might be done. Walker would certainly be done if he comes back this year. Jeremy Fears Jr., you never know. Maybe you play alongside that guy some. Maybe, you know, who knows how long, it, it, you know, if he stays, if somebody 
I'm not saying he's going to be a pro. He's an NBA guy right away. He's six feet tall, but like you just don't know. And right. you know, to to give that up. And at Jackson Kohler, you could say the same thing. You know, we may look at playing two of you guys together. You've got offensive skills that can separate you. You know, you just got to get to a point where you're adequate defensively, and you, you'll you'll find a way to a big role, and and then we can look at it. Um, and I think that helps. You know, even like a. a you know, Amadi Sissoko, I, I I think Sissoko will stay. They bet on him, and my my and he was the starting center on a Sweet Sixteen team. I can't see, even if I can see reason Sissoko's role next year would be much more limited. I I'm betting he doesn't see it. Um, but well, even let's let's look at a guy like Malik Hall. I mean, between, right. you talk about two guys that took a lot of arrows from Michigan State fans. Sissoko and Hall took quite a bit. You know, and. There's uh, Malik Hall is going to have his degree. He could go somewhere else as a grad transfer if he wanted for that extra year. Quite honestly, or the transfer, I mean, he can go wherever he wants. Yeah, yeah right. He can I go mean, you look wants. at even AJ Hogard. You look at him. You know, he sees all these guards coming in. He wanted the minutes and wanted more minutes and saw his minutes go down. You could see some potential for frustration there. I mean, you uh, know, that's what I mean. And I don't necessarily. I'm not saying these guys are going to leave by any stretch of the imagination. I'm saying like you can look at things. And you have to as a coach because quite you're you're having these meetings. This is why Tom Izzo, I think, has the number of meetings that he has with guys and you know exit interviews on the season and constantly throughout the season because he needs to know where their heads are. And I do think that's one thing that you know from from Izzo's standpoint, I don't know if any of the decisions the last few years we're talking portal era has really kind of jumped up and surprised him and i don't feel like i think he's got a pretty good pulse on that do you agree yeah i i, I do i do you know i think if like in you bring up like the hogart like i mean I, I think hogart has put in so much time to become the guy and he's reached such a place that and he's got he's looked at by Izzo as the guy running the show that i and he's not going to get beat out by a freshman is the primary point guard um, that I would be, you know, I'd be very surprised if, if he left. But, but yeah, no, I do, I do think at some point though he will be surprised because it, it's it, that's just the nature of this now. Kids are thinking more about they can leave and they have options than before, um, and so that that makes it really interesting. I, I think next year's group coming in, like if this team can return mostly intact, and, and I, the one th- the one other thing I want to mention with Tyson Walker is, like I still debate whether they're better off long term with him coming back i still have that question a little bit and here's here's where i think by that there's no question to me that they are better in november and december with him the question is a team that has a guard rotation that includes aj hogarth running the show akins and fears like does that team in february because akins i think has the highest ceiling a higher ceiling than Walker in certain ways. Like Akins is the, is probably the best pro prospect uh, maybe on the roster, depending on what he develops into just given athletic ability, size, length, skill, all that stuff. Um, so I do wonder like, does that stunt development? Um, but I do, uh, but I also think Michigan state next year has with or without Walker, the chance to have what's so hard to get in college basketball now, which is an old team. And we're seeing how much that matters and winning in the NCAA tournament. But also a team with young blue chippers that give you fresh juice and raise your ceiling, but don't have the pressure on them because you have enough old guys. That makes sense. Yeah, it totally makes sense. I mean, 
you know, but the question then becomes, do those young blue chippers have that pressure to be the guy or whatever the next thing is? You know what I mean? It's, you know, our, you know, five-star guys don't come in to sit, you know, and that's always been the case no matter where. And, you know, you think about like Jaron Jackson and and uh, Miles Bridges, the last couple five-star guys that Tom Izzo's had, they played. They played a lot right away. Well, um, well here's, a, here's a question, though. So if a guy comes in and he winds up not playing as much as he wants to, I think the real key is what's happening the following year. Because if somebody finishes that first year and goes, boy, I didn't play as much as I wanted to, but they immediately see the path for all the playing time they ever wanted the next year, then why transfer? Because it's right there. You know what I mean? Like, I, I really think you can get away with it still for one year as long as they see the path for the the next year. And you have to, you might have to sell somebody like, like if Tyson Walker sticks around the sales pitch to Jeremy fears, who is going to, who's going to play by the way. I mean, he's a, he's a too talented guy not to play, yeah. but the sales pitch to him is Jason Richardson. It's hey, you know, here was a guy who's a McDonald's all American who came in average five and a half points, four rebounds a game was a, you know, everybody loved because he was a, just an unbelievable dunker and, and he provided a lot for the team and played 15 minutes a game on a national championship team. And the next year he was an all American. He was the guy and competing with all those guys helped him. And, and there, there are advantages to that. I think, I think with each guy, you got to kind of sell something else. Um, sure, but then, this is nothing new though. I mean, oh. you know, Brandon Cotton, Brandon Kearney. I mean, these, these yeah. are, these are things that have existed throughout Izzo's entire career. It's, just that now the escape strategy for the players is easier and more beneficial for them. No doubt. And guys, there are always going to be guys who make interesting decisions. Nobody is in, entirely a product of their parents, but you know, and, and, but you know, I was around when Jeremy fears junior was in college or sorry, Jeremy fears senior was in college and he was a guy who played a couple of years at Ohio and then left and then was briefly at Bradley, I think, but I don't know if he ever played that, you know, he, I mean, he's, Transient, yeah, yeah, and he was a transient he, basketball player. I mean, that, that that's been around. He was, yeah, know, he was forever. a guy that not he was a guy that not every coach wanted to deal with when he was transferring. If you put it that way, uh, but that doesn't mean fifteen years later he's not a different person. He's not a mature person. He's a very young guy. I, mean, I think Jeremy Pierce Senior is right. Got to be thirty seven, maybe um, thirty six. But I think all these guys come from different backgrounds with different expectations, and but once they get into a system. Or into a university, and and they see and they get a, a dose of reality. They all deal with it differently too. Some of them are like willing to take the challenge on, or 100 cool with, you know, this is the process. Others are not down with that, you know. And, you and, just and who's that. in their ears too? Yep. Quite honestly, I mean, you know, that's something that Izzo has talked about ad nauseum for 25, 30 years. You yep. know, who's in guys' ears that are either that are propping them up, telling them if you do this. Or go somewhere else. You can be the guy and put yourself in the end, first round of the NBA draft as lottery pick number one overall. Right? I mean, things happen. I mean, things that happened like that, even to, to Deontay Davis situation. The shame for Deontay Davis is, in an NIL world, he would have stuck around, and that's the dynamic maybe, that isn't there anymore. Maybe, but again, you know, it's there's also the component of school that goes along with it too. True, but yeah, for, for him, there was a lot of financial. I think stuff, you know, and like pressures. And I think, you know, why NIL doesn't make you a millionaire everywhere. It can take some, some pressures off, uh, right. helping your family and, 
you know, the other thing that's, you know, you look at guys like uh, Tyson Walker and Malik Hall, they're both part of a basketball camp in early April they're hosting. You know? <laughs> AJ Hogard as well. AJ Hogard, yeah, NIL deal basketball camp they'll make money off of. Guys that you know they're going to be they're going to be around you know and I love uh, by the way that's that's one of the things that I do love about the NIL structure is there's no reason that these guys shouldn't have been able to make money in their time running camps or doing individual workouts that's giving back to the game and I never understood why that wasn't allowed I mean I get where the NCAA's altruistic mindset is with it even though the fallacy of of college athletes being Pure amateurs has been long since dispelled many decades ago, even well before NIL. But um, I love that that guys can can give back to the game and and pass along their teaching in a community where they, I mean, it's community outreach. Quite honestly, they should be able to get paid for that. I think by April fourteenth, by the ha- time they have this Lansing Youth Basketball Camp uh, that they're they're uh, a part of, I think we'll know we'll have an answer. Yeah, and and I think they've got until sixty days after the season ends, which I think this year is May eleventh. The transfer portal is less though, so the the window. The that, I'm sorry, that's that's the portal decision. Day. Is it sixty days? Oh, sixty days. Okay, Friday, April fourteenth is when that. Um, yeah, and that does not apply to grad transfers. Correct. Correct. It's so not. someone like Malik Hall, if he gets his degree, could in the middle of the summer. And if you didn't want to stay or if there was no room at the end, if they brought in 15 transfers, whatever, he, he could make a decision then. Yeah, and, and, and important to note this. Now, I think you and I both and, and most people think Pierre Brooks will, will leave and, and that's going to be a mutual decision. But if he does not leave and if Walker and Hall return, they do not have an open scholarship. That's 13 right there. So, like, um, people talk about the portal and bringing in this and that and that. Like, they're at, they're at their allotment uh, unless – somebody you know like if hauser wanted to come back next year they would need pierre brooks to leave and so that that's just something to keep in mind they're much closer to the allotment it's also something to keep in mind with last year's deal because if they had brought in a a big man last year that was more than a one-year player uh they might have some issues this year with everybody coming back so yeah um, and and, you know then that's not knowing what type of season Hauser was going to have at that point or if he was quite honestly though they also at that point when they were figuring all that stuff out didn't know if Hauser was even going to be back this year that I think gives some blueprints to guys like Hall and Walker about what can happen uh, if you do come back for that extra year no and I think for Hall I mean he's got to want the year that that Hauser had and he's got to want the. I mean, Hauser's got a chance. I think to he'll get a look in the NBA. His brother's there. He's yeah, he's got. You know, somebody described him. Does he have a chance to be a taller version of Bryn Forbes? He's going to have to hit shots in the summer league. Um, but he's a six nine. He, he fits more the prototype for the NBA. The problem Hall has is he's a jack of all trades, master of none, and doesn't have a goat. No, so he's going to at his height. Uh, yeah. The, the the only thing that he could have that got him to the next level, given levels of athleticism, everything else, is if he also becomes an elite three-point shooter, which is is not impossible for him. Uh, but that would be, you know, the 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 jack-of-all-trades works for everything else if you then also become an elite three-point shooter. I think that needs to be his uh, his focus in the offseason. And, that and I think for him especially, I mean, he needs to be – to have a healthy offseason. I mean, 100%, yeah. You know, I mean, that's – and that sounds simple to say, but – 
you know, you think about how many foot injuries guys have had over the years that, you know, they get into the summer and they start to and just look at Josh Langford. I mean, you know, you get like you're healthier and you're getting back to where you're at and you have another one and then you're done. I yep. mean, it, you know, you could, that could, you know, that quite easily could happen. And then, you know, you, but he, he especially, and I think they need him if he is going to come back to have that. I mean, I don't know if you, you can really put a guy in bubble wrap and send him around, but I don't even know if that matters with, a, with a foot injury, quite honestly. But, um, you know, as long as he doesn't need to, I mean, remember, you know, Aikens is the one who had the surgery. All never did. Right. You know, he had other foot issues, I think, dating back to high school uh, that required some some surgical stuff. But he didn't, you know, with the stress reaction, he didn't have the surgical procedure. He would he was waiting it out and resting it and letting it heal on its own. And then you saw the stop and start. So, you know, his big thing right now, I would think, particularly when he was playing 28 minutes a game over the last month, um, you got to get off your feet. You got to get off your feet and let it heal fully. Uh, before you go back out and start working on some of that stuff, if you are going to come back, indeed. Is there anything else basketball-wise we need to get into before we do a little football here? We covered pretty much everybody on the roster, unless you want to talk about Jason Whiten's making a, having to also make a decision to apply for a 60-year medical waiver. And and perhaps not be on scholarship, depending on what. He was on scholarship this year. They had the room for him. So that was the other, a guy like that would have to decide if it was worth it if he had to pay his own way. Yeah. Um, which would be... Uh, because he's one of those guys who's not on scholarship, but when they have extra scholarships, usually gets one. Um, and uh, so you would have to have to look at that. It, it'll be fascinating. I'm sure as soon as we stop talking here, uh, <laughs> as soon as you start listening to this pod, there'll be three or four that pop up. And 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 we'll be back to talk about those, of course, when when they happen, especially uh, the, the bigger decisions and how they impact other people. And um, so we'll probably have a couple pods in the next couple weeks dealing with that. Let's talk a little bit of uh, Michigan State football. Uh, had some Yay, uh, spring football. This is what everybody wants to talk about. I think some people are into it. They're into the quarterback situation, at least. Uh, I mean, it's the, into it versus what it actually is. And you want to talk about, for a quick hot minute, where I, w- one thing that I think has, in some ways, been affected by the transfer portal and everything else, it's spring football. I mean, because... A lot of new guys. A lot of new guys come in, but then after you get through the spring, a lot of guys go out and then yeah. you have newer guys coming in before fall camp. So, I mean, it is a constant roster flow and cycle that, you know, you, you, you might, you might see a guy for six months and then he's gone. Yeah, no, it'll be, it'll be, uh, it'll be interesting. I think the most, I mean, obviously the most interesting thing that's going on with the football program right now is that you had a, a two year starting quarterback who is now in an open quarterback competition. Right. And that is, without question, interesting. And Jay Johnson was one of the people who talked today. Keon Coleman did as well. You know, Keon talked about, you know, missing, uh, you know, the decision not to play hoops and what went into that and understanding that his body was his money and, and he needed to get healthy. And yeah. um, Chris, I'm guessing you're going to have a story up on all this stuff. Yeah, that Point. was uh, a lot of our conversation about, particularly the fact Keon Coleman walked into the, basketball gym ready to practice in january and then a couple days later it was like no he's not but yeah he he was the right we talk about malik hall i mean coleman came out of that penn state game and tom Izzo said he was nursing a groin injury and if he goes and starts playing on the basketball court now you're talking about 
wear and tear on that groin. It, well, it was more a hip thing season. he said today, right? It was a hip tear. Yeah, yeah. 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 And, yeah. But also the also the other part of it is when you are up and down in basketball mode, you're not able to gain the weight. I mean, yeah, how many times? No, no. I, I think for his for his career, he for his football career and Smart his financial decision. well-being, he yes. made he made the right decision. Although I, I still think he prefers basketball, and so it was <laughs> it was a tough decision for him. The quarterback position, like Keon Coleman's going to be the number one receiver. He, if he's if he's healthy, he's he's the guy, and I think he understands that this is his opportunity. Um, and uh, he, you know, this is his last year at Michigan State football, and and uh, unless it goes poorly, he's an NFL draft pick after this year. The um, the quarterback situation is one that I, you know it, it's always interesting to, to listen to the the parsed words from coaches not. And, one of the reasons I asked Jay Johnson about the to describe each player's strengths and what he's seeing from them, it's that it's in there that you get like the between the line stuff. Yeah, the tea leaf stuff. That's the good stuff. Um, and it was clear that Noah Kim is probably number three. <laughs> that's my take, just based on the things he said he needed to work on and where he was. And he was offering almost I don't want to say criticism of him, but he was he was very he praised. Peyton Thorne a lot said that he had uh, thought he had admitted he had done too much last year, that he had um, somebody, his understanding of the offense had just reached another level. Uh, but he was very, he, he praised Caton Hauser quite a bit and the levels that he's reached. And, and I, I, I do think that Hauser Thorne battle is, is legit and interesting. And we will not, you know, uh, somebody else asked about if they had a timeline on it and, Jay Johnson said, well, we'll kind of know it when we know it. I think, or even whatever the decision is, it'll go into the season in this regard, that if one of those guys were to struggle, the, there wouldn't be a long leash because they'd have a capable other guy. Yeah, I think that's that's some of it. But I also think that there's the other component that kind of dovetails into what we were talking about with basketball is you've got a four-star recruit that if he were to hit the transfer portal would be gobbled up by possibly your competitors. There's part there's part of that that comes, I think, with what coaches are saying now more than ever. Right. There's um, no there's no way you're going to name Peyton Thorne the starter before August. Right. Because because to do that would would you know and and really the only re, to me the only way you would name a starter at the end of spring would be to be fair to Thorne if it were going to go the other way and you thought here's a guy who deserves to go somewhere else. Right, and be a starter, and you want him to have that opportunity. It, if, if if it's still a truly fifty fifty, or even if you think Thorne's going to win it, because it's it's like we were talking before. If if you get, say Thorne does win the job, which is very possible this year, I know that there was a segment of MSU fans that would be not happy about that. And but say he wins the job and starts all year and has a good year, you're you're still able to keep Caten Hauser because. Now Thorne's gone, and now you're going into next year, and the opportunity is great at the program, at the offense he's already learned, and everything. Like, why would you leave then? You know, if you're going to leave. Yes, and no. I mean, he still has an extra year of eligibility after that. That's true. That's true. Yeah, that's true. That's so. True. I mean, that's that's where the COVID year comes in into play as well. Caton Hauser doesn't have a COVID year, but Peyton Thorne does. Yeah, yeah. This is this is the challenges of roster management that coaches have to deal with. A ton. And again, I, I still think if you look down to this battle, what it ultimately becomes is how well is the offensive line going to play in front of them? I mean, we could talk all we want about which quarterback did this or that or what Peyton Thorne did a year ago. I mean, he got crunched 
in the first or second game of the season on a flea flicker and was never the same quarterback as he was. You know, I, that's why I asked Jay Johnson today about his how much he's running more. Is he running more? Because when he didn't have that part of his game, he was a different quarterback, both from decision making and putting more things on his shoulders to you got to throw the ball, throw the ball, throw the ball, and sometimes make bad decisions. So uh, I think there's a lot more that goes into it just beyond simply saying, okay, well, you know, Peyton Thorne didn't do this last year. So Caton Hauser, you give him the ball. Well, there's a lot, there's a lot of things that weren't going well around Peyton Thorne last year without a running game and being hurt and not being able to contribute in that running game that I think are equally as big. And I think that was one of the big things today that Jay Johnson said on, on Tuesday, if you're listening you know, they're healthy and they're deep on the offensive line. Compared nine, to he said they had 19 guys playing right 19 now. Guys. That's and, incredible. You know, they had, what, I mean, six or seven last year. They had five, I think. And they, yeah. they quite honestly, I, they had to basically work in TV timeouts during practices last year. Right. Because they couldn't, the, the, the five offensive linemen, including, I believe, uh, two guys they moved over from the defensive line to help out, um, wasn't able to sustain. So if you can, if you can't, get that done that that it, it, jay johnson didn't want to say it contributed but you know he basically you listen to him and again between the the lines you can kind of tell yeah well we couldn't work on things you couldn't work on things without having healthy offensive linemen so you know i i think that's where you, you got to start there and then work your way back even though it's still the most important position on the field with what what thorn can bring and i think he's got a body of work that you've seen um, you don't get up into the top 10 in so many categories without having the talent to do it uh, and repeat doing it. But you also have last year and, you know, sometimes I'll call it Charlie Batch syndrome. Um, have you ever heard of my Charlie Batch syndrome? I, I don't think argument? so. Charlie Batch guy, so I'm he came out it. of Eastern Michigan and yeah. went to the Lions. I thought it was a great pick. And you saw early on in his career Boy, Charlie Batch looks like he could be the Lions quarterback. Well, then the Lions offensive line changed all that. And Charlie Batch's mindset became of one of, of panic in the pocket at the first sign of pressure because muscle memory tells you you're about to get hit. So and you, it changed him as a player to where he, he looked like he could have been a good starting quarterback in the NFL for a number of years. And instead, that mindset changed for him, and he became a career backup after that. So, you know, I, 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 Peyton Thorne seems like a kid who's got good mental resolve, but you don't know until the bullets fly of just what last year did to him, how much duress he was under, how much things that he put on his own shoulders in terms of altering his own decision-making ability that, by all accounts, in 21 was pretty good. You know who else screwed Charlie Batch? Bill Walsh. Bill Walsh. Because Bill Walsh came up with that stupid West Coast offense that Marty Mordenweg adopted, oh, and they yeah. put Ty Detmer in in, 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 in 2002, and, and the, that was the end of the Lions. Anyway, that's that's a sore subject, but <laughs> um, I freaking hate the West Coast offense. Um, <laughs> but anyway, that's that's an, that's another pod for another day for for everybody. No, it, it, it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting because I, I I don't think it's settled, and I think it'll be one of those things where even when it is settled, um, there will be pressure on the guy who is performing to perform well. And Peyton Thorne performed well two years ago and kept that job. Now, it helped the guy that was behind him, was a transfer from Temple, was 
didn't do all the right things. I don't think off the field to, uh, to, to, yeah. to, to maybe put pressure on him, but he also played well, so it can be done. Um, but it'll, it'll be very interesting to see what, what happens. The other thing I would say is the quarterback competition decides itself. Nobody gets to pick the quarterback, no coach, no fan, no yeah. writer and never do. And, and it's often somebody you don't expect at Michigan state over the years, it's often been the less heralded guy. Um, but it is never decided because it is one of those things that's in plain sight and it, it plays itself out with the best guy. And so that, that we'll, we'll, we'll eventually see the best guy. Who are Mark D'Antonio's highest ranked quarterbacks? Do you remember? I know, I know who they were. Was it Maxwell and Joe uh, Boyster, Messiah DeWeaver? Yeah, I think DeWeaver as well, and Joe Boyster was in there as well. Yeah. What about uh, what about Damian Terry? Where was he? Uh, I believe Terry might have been a high three star. Okay. Off the top of my head, that is. So. Yeah. Um, it, it rarely is the guys who who you you, you think it's going to be, and that doesn't mean Kate Hauser won't be the quarterback won't be phenomenal it's just not it's it's just not that simple as all we will be back with another episode as soon as like maybe in like an hour after uh, news breaks that uh <laughs> that joey hauser is returning and tom Izzo's leaving uh or whatever uh no i'm, I'm just kidding i don't want to panic on that but the uh joey hauser's the new coach too yes, player coach. that's right <laughs> i mean this is this uh, the ultimate na- name image likeness you're gonna be a player coach um, Someone's got to think about that. I, I should get some. If, when that happens, and it will, someone somewhere will have that allow it to happen. Um, I'd, I'd be fascinated to watch that. A player coach at the college level. Yes, and I want I want some uh, some uh, I, I want a little bit of that nil juice from that. That's how you convince like a Draymond Green to spend his senior year <laughs> at, a low, at a low major. Hey, we'll let you be the player coach. Um, <laughs> All right, well, we will we will be back with another episode as soon as is that or anything else happens. Uh, for now, thank you for listening. Spartan Speak is a production of the Lansing State Journal, Detroit Free Press, and USA Today Network. Please rate, subscribe, review, throw fruit, whatever it might be, and we will talk to you soon. Thanks for listening.